rejection, Meh. popularity. Well, I feel like looks is a big thing. School can be really stressful. My grades were plummeting and my friends weren't talking to me. And it's heartbreaking and they don't care. I felt like I needed to get that 4.0. I felt like I needed to get my double pirouette. I don't know, it's kind of confusing. My 10-year-old daughter. 15. And I'm 12. Should we put them in order? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This one's For the Girls, a podcast dedicated to telling the story of a young girl's journey to finding herself. My name is Kat Harris. I'm a 23-year-old journalist with a passion for helping women to succeed. When I am stressed out or there's something that I'm bottling up and then I talk to someone and they'll give me like some really good advice, something will snap and I'll be okay. Emma was the first girl to mention her need to discuss her problems with others. And as my interviews went on, this became a trending topic. I dug a little deeper and found it something all of the girls share. And I think it's one reason each of them is doing so well. Before we go to bed, I'll be like talking about all my problems and Rachel's just like, okay, I'm not gonna answer. I'm gonna be asleep, but you can keep talking. <laughs> For Rose Fletcher, a 12 year old from Highland, Utah, even talking to her sleeping sister, Rachel, is preferable to keeping it all inside. Hallie, my 12 year old cousin, talks to her mom, Krista, about everything. And Krista loves it. She tries very hard not to discourage Hallie from being open with her. I try really hard not to tease her. If she starts talking about who she has a crush on at school, I stay well away from the whole, ooh, and did he do this? I just <laughs> want her to keep telling me. I just want her to keep knowing that I'm a safe place to come to to say these things. And I'm not going to embarrass her in front of anybody. or Because um, yeah. I know that will just sever the communication between in that department, you know. According to Nancy Taylor, Krista's right. Laughing would probably sever that communication. What the girls are experiencing is very real to them, no matter how trivial their worries may seem to us. Even though you kind of sit there and go, it really doesn't matter, yeah. <laughs> I promise it will pass. They can't see that, and it's something huge. These girls just need to be heard, everybody does. While these girls are trying to identify who they are, what matters to them, and what ultimately doesn't, they tend to look to their mentors, parents, and others for examples. According to Erickson, young people often convince themselves that those they perceive as succeeding in their anticipated adult world must be the best in moral, ethical, and performance characteristics. They can be remarkably judgmental, at least internally, as they try to decide what characteristics they hope to emulate. In order to learn how this applies to the girls I interviewed, I asked them who they look up to. Probably my mom <laughs> has definitely succeeded in life. She has a family, she's married, she's in the church, basically everything I want. Hallie said her mom. Knowing Krista, I don't blame her. The interesting part of this conversation is that Hallie is 100% sure right now what she wants for her future. She knows her goals, her desires, and what she needs to do to get there. Hallie's a wonderful girl, and her mother is a great role model. In fact, she was mine as a child. Krista was my babysitter, who eventually married my uncle and became my aunt. It was a dream come true for me. The question is... What will Hallie do when she realizes that her mom isn't perfect, that she makes mistakes, and that she may want to do some things differently? The struggle is a little inevitable, but what matters is how she learns to deal with it. In Hallie's case, she is surrounded by a great many strong women who have gone after their goals. So when she's a little older and she may realize she's different from her mom in some ways, she'll have other positive examples that she can combine and use as a basis for different aspects of her identity. Parents are a great resource for many girls, but as they get older, girls tend to look outward for additional role models to validate them and suggest new characteristics for their consideration. While Hallie clings to her mother's example, 
Emma has found an additional role model at her school. And then my music teacher at Maynard Academy. She's just so amazing. I just want to be her. As the girls begin to more deeply develop their identities, it's normal for them to want to gain independence. But according to Nancy, it doesn't necessarily mean they'll stop needing their parents. They don't really know, are they still children or aren't they? Right. And it's, it's just, it's just a, a scary time. Scary for parents and for the girls. I asked Scott if there was a perfect amount of freedom to give adolescent girls, and he laughed. And that's the thing, you can't do the same thing with, with each kid. They all have to have a, a little bit different approach. However, there are some basic guidelines that Scott recommends. It's called the CTR Pyramid. The bottom thing is relationship, that's the most important thing. The next step up is, is teaching, that's what the T stands for. So you spend some time as parent teaching, and the very top little tip at the C is consequence. So you're using consequence as little as possible, only when you absolutely have to. While these principles are great to aspire to, they should look different with every child. For example, Emma's parents may trust her to take their car to the mall with her friends for the day, but Hallie's probably wouldn't, as Hallie is 12. She can't drive yet and is too young to be trusted with that kind of responsibility, most likely. However, it's not all about age. The tailor suggests taking maturity into account. The biggest theme seems to be resisting the urge to say no. No is easy and often gets the job done, but it doesn't encourage the girls to exercise their values or decision-making skills. While some cases may certainly mandate the response, the tailor suggests weighing the options and helping the girls come to a good decision on their own. Which is exactly what my dad did, and it's what his parents did for him. I was given a lot of latitude and a lot of trust. That's him, James Dudley. So when I, whenever I was told no, I trusted that no. When he was growing up, his parents took the approach of giving him as much freedom as he could handle. He could pretty much do whatever he wanted. But that way, when they did tell him no occasionally, he trusted it because they must have had a good reason. Krista recommends encouraging good choices and supplying lots of praise, rather than pointing out poor choices and shaming the girls. I like to encourage her whenever I see her doing something that I'm pleased with, that I think is just good moral character. I try to just bring it up and mention, oh, I'm really glad that you chose to do that. That's really hard to do. Or, you know, and I'm not perfect at it. I don't always, sometimes just inside, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you chose that. But I really think that when you vocalize their strengths out loud, it's so good because it's so easy to vocalize their faults out loud. And pretty soon they just think, mom doesn't like me. Mom thinks I'm a failure. While I'm quite sure most parents never want their kids to feel like failures, it sometimes happens. No one is perfect, parents included, and when things don't go the way we want them to, how do we rectify the situation? I turned to my own mom to ask this question. I think it's important to be able to apologize, to be able to recognize that sometimes we're in the wrong and to, to maybe, maybe it takes a little bit of time away from the conversation to realize it or to think about it, but to be able to come back to your child and say, hey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have responded that way. Can we talk? Just keep talking. I, I think continuing to talk is the most important thing you can do, is keeping that communication open. My parents were great at this, and it helped me feel safe when we talked about the hard things. Throughout the past two episodes, I've discussed at length my amazing family. In the next episode, join me as I tell my purpose for producing this podcast, and later talk to my parents about my own struggles as an adolescent girl. This podcast was created as an academic project using the recording facilities at Brigham Young University. 
uncopyrighted music was curated by Chris Hagen and Gunnar Olson. Special thanks to faculty advisor Quint Randall and the many family members, friends, and professional contacts who dedicated their time and efforts to helping me produce This One's For The Girls.